number of years ago, uh, my brother was still in college, so that would have been four or five years ago. We went up to Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where my brother was attending school, and uh, his wife, Amy, was there with him. We went out to dinner, and we went to Ruby Tuesdays. Who likes Ruby Tuesdays in this room? <coughs> we're, we're fans, although we don't eat there. We just don't eat out a whole lot anyway with a bunch of kids. Um, but we do like Ruby Tuesdays, and we went, went there that evening having no idea what we were about to experience. So the first kind of note that we were in for an interesting time was there was a woman who was obviously annoyed. You know, tapped on the table, a little bit frustrated, and she asked for the manager. So we knew something was up. So this young guy, maybe a couple of years younger than me, comes out, and uh, he starts to you know, engage this woman in conversation. You know, what is the problem, ma'am? How can I help? Well, she is really up in arms about the Sabbath. Because she comes to Ruby Tuesdays for the salad bar. And she began to use very colorful, you know, very descriptive language to describe why she was upset about the salad bar. One of the things I remember her saying particularly was she was talking about the tomatoes. And I don't know how she could tell this. Maybe she was a trucker. Um, but she said the tomatoes looked like they'd been run over by a semi-tractor trailer. And she was very angry. The sad part was that this gentleman, I mean, he tried he offered him a free meal. He offered him another free meal. But in the end, there was really nothing that he could do to solve her problem. I mean, there was, it was beyond his ability to fix whatever was broken in this situation. Today we're going to talk about an event in the life of Mary and Martha that they believe was beyond Jesus' ability to fix they knew he was capable of many wonderful things, but had serious doubts that there was anything he could do to make this right. But by the end of this story, we're going to see how Jesus' mastery over what we all fear not only brought life to her family, but to you and to me as well. And what do we most fear in this life? It's death. We prepare for it. We're, we're concerned about it. So our story begins with a tragic event. The Mary and Martha's brother, anybody know his name? Lazarus. Lazarus. He's fallen ill. He's fallen gravely ill. They immediately send word to Jesus to come and heal him, but Jesus is inexplicably delayed. And as a result, Lazarus slips away. And when Jesus finally arrives, he's got some explaining to do. And the reason why is, number one, death always causes doubt. Death always causes doubt. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary knew Jesus well. She knew that Jesus was capable of doing for Lazarus. He was capable of healing Lazarus. They'd seen it many times, people on the brink of death. And Jesus would heal them. They would recover. They would go on to fullness of life. But in this situation, Jesus didn't come. And so her, her hope died with Lazarus. Sure, she was upset with Jesus, but she was more than despondent. There was nothing that Jesus could do to fix this. This is because she didn't yet realize what Jesus was capable of. How many times are you and I like Mary? When we see a situation that, is, that seems beyond repair... It's unable to be fixed. We despair. When it's beyond repair, we despair. 
When our children were young, they would often stain their clothing. Who's got young ones in the room today? Can you remember a time when they stained their clothing? What do we typically do? You know all the tips and the tricks to get it out, right? But every now and then, they've done something to their clothing. So catastrophic. That it's beyond repair. There's no way of fixing it. And that just, I mean, this isn't even something you can donate to fish. This is something you're going to need a hazmat suit and delicate disposal of, huh? When that happens. And it's beyond repair. But sometimes, you know, we feel like there's something in our lives that's beyond repair. My marriage is beyond repair. My relationship with my children is beyond repair. There's been irreparable damage. My relationship with my parents or my siblings is beyond repair. You know, my health is beyond repair. My finances are beyond repair. My reputation, if I'm honest, I feel like it's beyond repair. But maybe that's because you and I don't realize what Jesus is capable of. Just like Mary and Martha did not yet realize what Jesus was fully capable of. They thought that death was the end. There was no hope. But they were about to see different. You know, sometimes we don't realize what Jesus is capable of. He's capable of healing our broken relationships. Anybody experience that? Something that seemed beyond repair. He is capable of bringing back our wayward children. He is capable of restoring our health. He is capable of providing for our needs and he is capable of repairing a broken reputation. So maybe we just don't realize what Jesus is capable of. And though Jesus certainly understands her despair in this situation, he is troubled. This is a passage where you're going to see Jesus gets upset. But it's not what you think. He gets upset. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Can you see the doubt? Can you see the cynicism there? Jesus was capable of so much. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? You know, I used to wonder, what was it in this passage that made Jesus angry. In the Old Testament when the Israelites would go astray, why was God so upset? I mean, surely he was offended that they had rejected his leadership. You remember when the, when the prophet Samuel, you know, when he was so upset that they wanted a king and God said, they haven't rejected you, Samuel, they, they rejected me. So surely God's upset that they've rejected his leadership. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's deeper than that. God knew that he would have to be intimately involved in the consequences of their sin. And that's why Jesus is upset. You know, when a child misbehaves, when a beloved employee is guilty of misconduct, never had that happen. Somebody you really like, and you just hate it, but they did something outside the lines. When a borrower defaults on their loan, when a tenant neglects to pay their rent, it's similar. You know, sure, we're upset about how we've been affected personally, but more than that, we're sad. We're sad because we're going to need to be intimately involved in the consequences of their choice. And so Jesus is angry, but I think it's an anger born out of pain because he knows where this is going to lead. He knows what's going to have to happen as a result of their choices. And their choice to what? Their choice not to believe. 
In this situation, their unbelief would cause Jesus to lay down his life. We talked about it last week. As the good shepherd, Jesus would choose willingly to lay down his life for these people. And so he's upset because he's done all these miracles. He's given them plenty of proof to believe, and yet they don't believe. And he's upset because he knows what it's going to cost. But if you and I will choose faith, there is hope because faith leads to hope. That's the second point today. Faith leads to hope. John 11, verse 25 to 27, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord. She believes. She believes that he's the Messiah. She believes that he's a great guy. She believes that he has power. But there's still doubt creeping in. This is something unfixable. This is something beyond repair. She says, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God later on. She says, I believe that people will be raised up in the last day. But Jesus, this is above your pay grade. I mean, this is something you can't fix. I mean, people don't come back from the dead. But you can see in her words, there's still just a shred of hope. That maybe, just maybe, Jesus can do something about this. In her darkest moment, Jesus gently reminds Martha of who he is. In other words, he's saying, I'm still me. I'm still me. I'm the person who's eaten with you. I'm the person that you followed. I'm the person that you've seen heal people. Martha, I'm still me. In difficult moments, you and I are tempted to forget. You know, on the mission field, when we would, we would be struggling, we would begin to doubt our calling, we would do what I would call a rehearsal or a, a review. We would review our story. We'd say, you know what? We're struggling right now. We're discouraged right now. We feel like giving up right now. We're kind of tired of the People's Republic of China. Food's okay, but it gets kind of old being there. And we'd say, you know what? But did God call us? Yes, I remember when he did God lead us? Yes, I remember all the ways that he led us. Did God bring us into training? Did God provide for our needs financially? Did God bring us to this point? Yes, he absolutely did. And it would remind us. And Jesus would remind us. He'd say, I'm still me. I'm the same Lord. I'm the same God. Maybe you've believed in me a long time. Maybe you've believed in me a short time. But I'm still the same Lord. And you can trust me. And that faith leads us. And when the unthinkable happens as it did for Mary and Martha, they had the following two choices, faith or doubt. And when Mary and Martha, clinging on by their fingernails, chose faith, even though it was a tentative faith, I mean, it wasn't like an arms wide open, I believe, I believe, it was, I believe, I think, I mean, I believe, it was a tentative faith, but it was enough to give them hope. That Jesus could make things right. Maybe, just maybe, there's something that Jesus can do about this. I don't know why he's delayed. I'm confused. I thought Jesus was our friend. And he didn't come when I needed him. He didn't come when I called him. And now it's too late. And maybe that's what you feel like today. Maybe you feel like it's too late in some situation in your life. It's too late. It's unfixable. It's beyond repair. But Jesus would say to you today, believe. Faith leads And for those who have put their faith in Jesus, we know that following Jesus, it's a significant upgrade. 
from our former master. But things don't improve overnight, do they? Salvation is not a quick fix. It's something that starts inside and then gradually begins to show itself on the outside. It's a process. What starts off as a private conviction slowly becomes an outward display of this inward change. Over time, faith and devotion to Jesus begins to impact every area of our lives. And it starts with faith that leads to hope. So the question for you today is, do you believe that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus? Are you to that point? I mean, maybe, maybe you're a little bit older. Maybe you're a little bit younger and you don't see the need. I mean, faith is okay. I'll come to church on Sundays. But I'm not necessarily... <laughs> Thanks, God. He's helping me along. Um, but I don't know that I'm ready to build my life around Jesus. I mean, really, I'm busy. I've got school. I've got job. I've got to pay attention to guys or girls. And Jesus is saying, put your faith and hope in me. Build your life around me, and that faith will lead to hope. But unbelief. Unbelief is a scary thing. When you choose not to believe, when you choose not to build your life around Christ, it leads to consequences like it did in this story. And consequences that even Jesus wasn't seeing. So I would encourage you today, build your life around the Lord Jesus. And you won't regret it. If we choose faith, Jesus promises to give us life. If you'll build your life on the rock, he promises to give us Verse 30 of chapter 11, Jesus was still angry. He's just an angry guy in this story, huh? And when he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? And you see just they, they just don't get it yet. They don't see who I am. They don't understand what I'm capable of. He's frustrated by their lack of belief. And he knows this is necessary. He knows they're going to need to see evidence that he has power over death. Because up until this point, he's done a lot of great things. I mean, water into wine, making bread, healing people. He's done a lot of great things. But this is not something that they've seen yet. And he knows it's necessary. But he also knows what it's going to mean for him. This miracle, if you look at the end of the story, that's when they, the religious leaders decided, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've seen too much. Everybody else has seen too much. So Jesus knows that this miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead, is going to be a death sentence for him. And he knows it's likely going to be a re-death sentence for Lazarus. You know what they start saying after Lazarus gets healed? We've got to kill this guy again. We've got to get rid of the evidence. We don't need all these people running after Jesus because they were so obsessed with their own position and their own power. But Jesus knows that it's necessary. So Jesus decides. And he says, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this. So Jesus not only revived Lazarus by returning his physical life, but he opened the door for those in the crowd to find eternal life. So the bottom line today is that Jesus conquered death to bring us life. And not too far down the road, Jesus would give up his own life and die on a cruel Roman cross 
and then be raised on the third day to, to fully and finally conquer death in order to bring us life. New life for you and me. It's not possible without Jesus. But if you and I will allow Jesus to give us life, just like in this story, who knows who else might benefit? You know, if I see Jesus in you, if I see Jesus in your words, if I see Jesus in your actions, then I might choose to follow him as well. Today we're going to hear uh, from a friend. You know, I, I invited Gene a few weeks ago to come and share his testimony with us. And I wanted you to see an example because what we've been talking about is that, you know, death brings doubt, faith leads to hope, and Jesus gives life. And here's a man who's going to share with us today how Jesus has changed the course of his life. And my, my prayer is that it will give you hope today. Come on up, Gene, and share with us. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gene. Uh, I will begin my story by saying that in my formative years, I was exposed to church in the form of vacation Bible schools and uh, through Wednesday night services as a teenager. <clears throat> I enjoyed the camaraderie and fellowship with my friends. It was a nice break from my home life. My father was an alcoholic, and he was not pleasant to be around. I always felt like I was not good enough for him, and I spent a lot of my time either trying to get his attention or avoiding him when he was drinking. Fortunately, it was at these Wednesday night gatherings where I was led to Christ by my best friend and my youth pastor. I had learned of this fatherly love that surpassed all understanding as I read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I was sure that this is what I needed to fill the unexplained hole in my heart. Things were great for me during this time. I was on fire for the Lord. I could not get enough. My best friend and I talked of going to college and becoming pastors so that we could share this love with the people everywhere. Unfortunately, even though I was sincere, <clears throat> it was to be a rather brief season. As we entered into high school, I was introduced to alcohol and drugs, and they began to suppress my newly born faith. Ashamed of my actions, I kept them a secret from my best friend. Moving through graduation and into college, I was living a double life. My best friend and I were roommates, beginning the journey to ministry. However, I was still the double agent, and the drugs moved into first choice, and alcohol became the fallback, and together, they became a lifestyle that I chose over school. I was out of control. My best friend learned of my other life, and we had a falling out. He did his best to help me, but I was 18 years old and on my own, and I knew everything. I left him and school and my faith. The next several years were a blur. I had become a person I couldn't look at in the mirror. My addictions became the centerpiece of two failed marriages and my two kids being exposed to nasty custody battles, loss of homes, cars, family members, friendships, and at times my sanity. I had become someone that I was afraid of. I recall reading the Ten Commandments and thinking, I only have one more to break. That is when I had found myself in a familiar yet undesirable place. I was back living with my parents, a divorced, <coughs> depressed, dysfunctional dad. I attempted to get straight, and I was no longer doing drugs, but I more than made up for this with my alcohol consumption. 
It was at this time that I met my current wife, Emily. We started dating, and I knew almost immediately that she was special. She didn't drink or do drugs. Instead, she was a single mom of two daughters working a full-time job, and she had a faith like none I had ever experienced. I knew two things. One, I needed her in my life, and two, that she completely disapproved of drinking. I wish that I could tell you that this is where I stopped drinking. Instead, I started drinking when she wasn't around and pretending everything was great when we were together. I had become good at this way of life. We got married in 2008, and I was forced to reveal my secret life to her. She stood beside me anyway. Her faith in God and her prayers carried us through the next five years. It was not a pleasant journey. I became very aware that I was killing her marriage and hurting her and our kids. I started to seek God's word again. I had been praying for God to save my marriage. I remember on Christmas Eve of 2012, I was getting drunk and watching her scramble to get everything wrapped and put together and ready for our kids by herself. I could see it in her face and I still remember the moment clearly. I could see my wife loving our family by herself, and she was fed up. In that moment, I felt as if I was chained to my addiction and being dragged away, labeled as a worthless husband and father, and I was powerless to stop it. I could not shake that feeling, and on New Year's Eve, afraid to let it be known because I might actually be held accountable, I prayed a silent prayer and asked God to forgive me and to deliver me from alcohol. On January 2nd, 2013, the Lord answered my prayers. I have been sober since then with no relapses since that day. I began a new journey. I started learning how to be a husband and a father. I was slowly starting to heal. My wife started to attend Eastridge Community Church with our kids in 2014. Her faith in God's plans for us and her prayers for me to return to God continued. My daughters accepted Christ and on Easter in 2015, two of our girls were baptized and I came to watch them. I wanted to be there for them knowing how important of a step that is. Little did I know, God had bigger plans. I watched my daughter's baptisms and then turned to see two of my old friends from that teenage Wednesday night group I was telling them about. <clears throat> they knew my past, but they did not hesitate to accept me. Something happened to me that day because three weeks later, I was baptized. In the following year, our other two kids accepted Christ and were baptized as well. I even had the honor of getting to baptize my son. Suddenly things had changed for us in a big way. I could not believe it. One of my daughters even ran up to our pastor in a grocery store and told him, my daddy is not the same man. I started attending Celebrate Recovery in August of 2015 with my whole family where I began to experience the healing power of Jesus. I learned the difference between being sober and being in recovery. Jesus wasn't done with my story there either. 
Now my wife and I both serve as leaders in CR. I have gone through an intensive nine-month step study and will be co-leading a new one in July, and I get to serve as an usher on Sunday mornings at Eastridge. And the idea that my best friend and I had about the college of ministry, my best friend is a chaplain in the Navy, and as for me, I was blessed to be enrolled at Luther Rice Seminary in February of this year, where I am pursuing my BA in religion with a minor in ministry. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He did just that for us. I was an alcoholic and a drug addict for nearly 20 years. But Jesus had a plan for my life. He took my mess and saved me from my sinful nature. He has. He does. And he will continue to do the same for anyone that will call upon his name. My prayer is that I live the rest of my life honoring him and sharing with him, I mean sharing with all that will listen, Jesus Christ, the original love story. Thank you all for letting me share. service statement is the musicians to come back up and, and, and um, give me some background before we do the final song. We'll give Jeff a minute to come on down. Um, just want to, on a personal note, to each person in this room, if you have not yet made that life-changing decision to make Jesus the, your Lord, personal Lord and Savior, when I, was, when I was a kid, I grew up in church, when I was a teenager, I didn't really get it. I thought it was just about being in church, but it's about having a relationship with Jesus. And so in closing, there's three final points I wanted to share with you, and that's number one, that all have sinned. You know, every one of us in this room has sinned. And one of the reasons why Celebrate Recovery uh, exists is to give people a safe place to go and figure out that there's a God who loves them even though they have sinned. And so you and I each have sinned. We've all blown it. We've fallen short of the standard, and we need forgiveness. Secondly, that all so for everyone who has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And then the second point is that we all deserve death. None of us deserves to go to heaven. None of us deserves to have an abundant life that Jesus has promised to give each of us. We all deserve that. But uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life for Jesus Christ all. And then but lastly is that all can be forgiven. You and I can be forgiven because of Jesus Sacrifice. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of, hymn of invitation. And I want you to think about it. You know, is, are you, Have you come to a point in your life where you have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Have you made Him? Have you accepted Him as your personal Savior to forgive your sins, but also as your Lord to lead your life as the Good Shepherd, to build your life upon Him as a foundation, as Brother Gene has shared today, that Trusting Jesus as his Savior has turned his life around, turned his family around. I mean, the man's leaving a legacy. He's making a difference. He's serving. He's, he's being prepared for ministry. So we can see that, you know, Mary and Martha, they just didn't realize yet what Jesus was fully capable of. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, they got a glimpse. And then when he laid down his own life, he sealed the deal. And then when he was raised on the third day, he showed that he had triumphed over death. So my friend, today I would encourage you, 
to trust Jesus as your Savior. Build your life upon Him. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation because Jesus was a sacrifice for sin. People were made right with Him when they believed that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. His forgiveness is freely available to you and to me. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. God, thank you for this day, the special Easter morning that we've had so far, and uh, the good breakfast and the, and the good time with friends and family. But God, it's so important right now that each person in this room, as they're hearing the sound of my voice, that you'd move in their lives through the Holy Spirit. Somebody in this room has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. My prayer is that today would be the day that they would not leave this church. And if they do get out the doors, that they would find a family member or me or, or some trusted spiritual advisor so that they can get it cemented, that they can put their faith and trust as you and be identified as a Christian. And, and to let people know that they're going to build their lives on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And that they're going to trust him to do incredible things in their lives and their families and their communities and their schools. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray.